willkommen, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Monty Python's Spamalot. Bravely bold Sir Robin rode forth from Camelot. He was not afraid to die, oh brave Sir Robin. Was not at all afraid to be killed in nasty ways. Brave, 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 brave Sir Robin. He was not in the least bit scared to be mashed into a pulp. Or to have his eyes gouged out and his elbows broken. To have his kneecap split and his body burned away. And his limbs all hacked and mangled, brave Sir Robin. His head smashed in and his heart cut out and his liver removed and his bowels unplugged and his nostrils raped and his bottom burned off and his penis split and his... That's... that's enough music for now, lads. But first, how are we doing? You may have noticed that I almost (laughs) botched that opening, that little intro of mine, but I'm here, I'm fine, I hope you are here with me, I hope you are fine as well. I want to spend the time that we have here in this opening segment... Answering a question that came up, you know, Chris had a question, actually. You know, Chris actually had a question. My husband, Chris, he wanted to know if King Arthur truly was a fictional character, as I posited during our Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope episode. King Arthur is actually a nice bridge between that episode and this week's episode, as Spamalot is obviously. Uh, Maybe that's not obvious. Maybe you're not familiar with Spamalot at all, but Spamalot is about King Arthur. So, is King Arthur... Arthur actually a fictional figure, as I posited last week? Huh? Basically, yes. Basically, yes. King Arthur, as we know him, is very much a legend, although there are historians who have said his legend is based in history. Unfortunately, documents pertaining to certain periods of medieval England essentially don't exist. It's sort of a blank slate for the most part, that historical record, I should say. So if there ever was an actual King Arthur, it would be difficult to confirm. We've gone back and forth in regards to that historical basis, but at this point, he is considered to be a generally ahistorical figure. Ahistorical, one word, not ahistorical, two words. Okay, that's enough. (laughs) Stop it. Everyone put your hands down. I'm not answering any more questions because now it's time to provide to you some show facts regarding this week's subject, Monty Python's Spamalot, which was, show me the show facts, a 2005, the 2005 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on March 17th, 2005 at the Schubert Theater and ran for 1,575 performances It is currently the 52nd longest-running Broadway show in history, sitting between The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas at number 51, 1,584 performances, and the 1961 Gene Care play Mary Mary at number 53, 1,572 performances. The book of the show was written by Eric Idle and is based on the 1975 film Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which was written by Eric Idle, John Cleese, Terry Gilliam, Terry Jones, Michael Palin, and Graham Chapman. The music of Spamalot was written by John Duprez and Eric Idle. The lyrics were written by Eric Idle. Additional music and lyrics were provided by Michael Palin and Neil Inez. 
the director of Spamalot, Mike Nichols. Mike Nichols, the famous director. Theatrical credits include, theatrical directing credits, I should say, from Mike Nichols' resume include the original productions of Barefoot in the Park, The Odd Couple, and the musical The Apple Tree. Film directing credits for Mike Nichols include Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, The Graduate, Working Girl, and The Birdcage. You know, those minor films that no one's ever heard of. He's a real underground figure. The musical director of Spamalot, Todd Ellison. The choreographer, K.C. Nicola. Scenic design, Tim Hatley. Lighting design, Hugh Vanstone. Sound design, Acme Sound Partners. We've seen Acme Sound Partners on the podcast before. We've heard about them before. Costume design, Tim Hatley. <laughs> yes, Tim Hatley. And the original Broadway cast included... Okay, so not only are we going to provide a general breakdown of who was in this cast, we are also going to be providing some additional Broadway credits for some of the people in this cast. And normally I don't do that, but for whatever reason, this week I was really interested in telling you what other Broadway plays and musicals a few of these people have been in. Okay, so we're going to start with Hank Azaria from The Simpsons, of course. This was his Broadway debut. Spamalot was his Broadway debut. His only other Broadway credit is from 2006 and that would be the play The Farnsworth Invention. And I'm pretty sure my college has done that. I'm pretty sure it's about the invention of the television. I, I think? I don't know. I don't know! We also have Tim Curry. Tim Curry's other Broadway credits. My favorite year from 1992. So he had not been on Broadway since 1992. We're going backwards here. So there was Spamalot, and then you had to go all the way back to 1992 to see Tim Curry on Broadway again in my favorite year, but he was also in Amadeus in 1980. Travis in 1975, and also in 1975, big year for Tim Curry on Broadway, The Rocky Horror Show, David Hyde Pierce. Okay, let's get his Broadway credits. Hello, Dolly, 2017. It should have been you, 2015. He was the director of that production. Vanya and Sonia and Masha and Spike, 2013. La 2010. Accent on Youth, 2009. Curtains, 2007. We'll talk about that at a certain point on this podcast. The Heidi Chronicles, 1989. Beyond Therapy, 19. 82. Christian Borrell. Okay, okay. Christian Borrell. What else has Christian Borrell done? Who is this guy? <laughs> A real underground figure. <laughs> A little known actor. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, 2017. Falsettos, 2016. Something Rotten, 2015. Peter and the Starcatcher, 2012. Legally Blonde, 2007. Legally Blonde, you're looking to be the winner of our bracket as of this morning. I'm recording this on a Saturday morning. As of right now, there's still time to vote in our bracket. But once I am done with this recording... <laughs> Eventually, that time is going to run out, is what I'm trying to say. So, Legally Blonde, congratulations. You are the winner of our third bracket. I believe the winner of our first bracket was Sondheim's Company. And the winner of our second bracket was Sondheim's Into the Woods. So, Legally Blonde, you are the official... You are the first official winner of a bracket that is not a Sondheim show. And frankly, I was ready for it. I love Sondheim as much as the next weirdo, but I was ready for a non-Sondheim show to win one of our brackets. Have some more brackets for you in the future. Don't know when the next one's going to drop. I don't know when the next one's going to drop. But if you follow us on Twitter, at MusicalManPod, you will get all of those updates as they come. But we're talking about Christian Ball right now. What else has he done? Mary Poppins, 2006. Amore, 2002. Thoroughly Modern Millie, 2002. Jesus Christ, Superstar, 2000. And Footloose, 2000. Michael McGrath. Okay, I didn't, I didn't do a whole breakdown for Michael McGrath. Sue me. Let's move on to Sarah Ramirez, who was also in a class act in 2001. The Gershwin's Fascinating Rhythm in 1990. 
Oh boy. And the Cape Man in 1998. Perhaps it's the Cape Man. The Cape Man? The Cape Man. Steve Rosen. Christopher Cyber. Let's get some Christopher Cyber action here. Cyber. Maybe it's Cyber. I apologize. Company. The pending revival of Company. Okay, so Christopher is in that. He was also in The Prom in 2018, Pippin in 2013, Matilda the Musical 2013, La Cage à Faux 2010, Shrek the Musical 2008, Into the Woods 2002, Thoroughly Modern Millie 2002, Triumph of Love, 1997. Chicago, that would be the 1996 revival, and Beauty and the Beast in 1994. And finally, rounding out this little cast overview of ours is John Cleese, who is an asshole. He's a fucking asshole. He only provided a recorded voice for the purposes of this Broadway production of Spamalot, and his, I didn't realize he had two other Broadway credits. He was in Half a Sixpence in 1965 and Cambridge Circus in 1964. So there you go. Tony nods. Okay, so Spamalot won Best Musical. It also won Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Sarah Ramirez, and Best Direction of a Musical, Mike Nichols. It was additionally nominated for a shit ton of categories. <laughs> So let's talk about those right now. It was additionally nominated for Best Book of a Musical, Eric Idle. That wound up going to the 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. Best Original Score, John Duprez and Eric Idle. That award wound up going to The Light in the Piazza. Best Actor in a Musical, Hank Azaria. Best Actor in a Musical, Tim Curry. Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Michael McGrath. Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Christopher Seiber. Best Choreography, Casey Nicola. Best Orchestrations, Larry Hockman. Best Senior Design, Tim Hatley. Best Costume Design, Tim Hatley, and Best Lighting Design, Hugh Vanstone. So, 14 nominations in total, a lot of nominations, three awards at the end of the evening. A really strange ratio, we'll talk about that more in a minute. But let's talk about the plot right now, in this minute. I find, I find, mm, people, I find Wikipedia to be a fickle, fair-weather friend. Huh? I said it. It's there. It's out there. Last week, when I was trawling for info on Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope, the site nearly drew a total blank. Uh, it's about activism and living in Harlem? Uh, what do you want from me? By comparison, the wiki summary for Spamalot is bizarrely thorough. I suppose a microscopic analysis would appeal to diehard Python fans, but me... The musical man, eh, not so much. I, myself, was always an MST3K kid. Therefore, I'll be omitting a fair amount of ancillary detail for the sake of providing a streamlined breakdown of the plot. Our tale begins in the year 932 AD. King Arthur and his servant, Patsy, make their way on horseback, horseback, through a plague-ravaged medieval England. Their mission? To recruit brave young men who shall serve as knights of the round table. The men they find are, in typical Python fashion, a motley crew of weirdos, rubes, and maniacs. Let's meet them now. We have Sir Lancelot, the homicidally brave, a violent fellow who eventually discovers he is gay. Sir Robin! the not-quite-so-brave-as-Sir-Lancelot, a humble body collector who enjoys singing and dancing, Sir Dennis Galahad, the dashingly handsome, a political radical who is transformed into a knight by the Lady of the Lake, Sir Bedivere, the strangely flatulent, and Sir Not Appearing in This Show, a strange fellow who is dressed like Don Quixote for the purposes of a one-off gag. While partying with the Lady of the Lake in Camelot, which has been made to resemble the Excalibur Hotel and Casino, 
casino in Las Vegas, King Arthur and his knights are confronted by God, who bestows upon them a quest, locate and obtain the legendary Holy Grail. A daunting task, to be sure, but our heroes are determined to see it through. But what's this? They're being insulted by snooty French soldiers, <laughs> beset upon by cancan dancers and airborne bovines. The knights bring Act 1 to a close in a state of sheer panic. A charitable host would describe the second act of Spamalot as uh, non-linear. The Python wiki consistently describes their brand as stream-of-consciousness comedy. And if you're into that, bravo. For me, it's a little more than sound and fury signifying nothing of long-lasting value, but here are the Spamalot Act 2 highlights for your reference. King Arthur and company, having become lost in a forest, stumble upon an inscrutable band known as the Knights Who Say Me. The knights demand a shrubbery in exchange for guidance. Sir Robin and King Arthur do battle with and ultimately defeat the Black Knight. In doing so, they obtain a shrubbery, but now the knights who say nee have another request. Produce a musical and successfully take it to Broadway. Sir Robin asserts this will be impossible as their party does not include any Jews. You got that? Okay, well, moving on. The Lady of the Lake, having been relegated to the sidelines for much of Act 2, complains bitterly about her lack of stage time. Sir Lancelot sets off to save a damsel in distress, who turns out to be a prince named Herbert. The two men fall in love despite the objections of Herbert's father, the King of Swamp Castle. Arthur's musical conundrum is solved when the Lady of the Lake points out he is already the star of a Broadway musical. Big picture, our heroes are now free to search for the Grail once more. Everything basically comes to a head when our heroes meet Tim, an enchanter who warns of a bloodthirsty rabbit that has been roaming the area. The knights are incredulous, but the rabbit soon makes swift work of them. It's a bloody disaster. Luckily, King Arthur manages to deploy the Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch and blow the rabbit straight to hell. In the process, the group discovers the Grail has been sitting under the seat of an audience member this whole time. If you, if you really need more info on how all of that rolls out, go to Wikipedia. But yes, the grail has been found. Huzzah! Huzzah! In celebration, Arthur marries the Lady of the Lake, Sir Lancelot marries Prince Herbert, and Sir Robin vows to become a musical theater performer. Now, for the purposes of this week's episode, I watched Monty Python and the Holy Grail, the original motion picture from 1975. If memory serves, I've only seen Holy Grail in its entirety once before. I was in high school, I was watching the film with a few drama club associates, and we were in a supply closet. How or why a TV and a VHS player had been set up in a drama club supply closet, I'll never know. What a metaphor. But my point is this was a long time ago and I needed a refresher course. I said to myself, Jonathan, you simply must reevaluate Holy Grail if you are to discuss Spamalot. It's only fair. And seeing as Netflix is currently offering the entire Python catalog to their subscribers, it seemed I had no other choice. It was as if the universe was speaking to me. So how does Holy Grail hold up in the light of 2020? Well, part of me wants to say it's okay and move on, but another more obnoxious part of me wants to say it's nearly unwatchable, as 98% of the jokes have been baked into our cultural DNA. It's only a flesh wound. I fought in your general direction. There are some who call me Tim. 
These lines achieved white noise status over 30 years ago, and it's high time we let the past die. Kill it. My gripe with the Python sensibility is how nearly every punchline boils down to someone saying no. Eric Idle will do something silly like tickle his own armpits, let's say, or whatever the fuck. And John Cleese will say, no, no, stop that, stop that. We won't be having any of that today. Thank you very much. I'd rather... Rather what? I'd rather... Just sing. Stop that, stop that. You're not going into a song while I'm here. Stop that, stop that. Stop that. Go on, clear off. Go on, go away. Two, three. Oh! Right, stop that. Silly. I'm a bit suspect, I think. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not prepared to pursue my line of inquiry any further, as I think this is getting too silly. Stop it! Stop right there! This is absolutely disgusting and I'm not going to stand for it! Well, Mr. Chairman, it's just that most of the members in Staffordshire feel the whole thing's a bit silly. I suppose it is a bit. What have we been doing wasting our lives with all this nonsense? Okay, meeting adjourned forever. You see what I mean? Yeah. Holy Grail is particularly infested with this type of scenario. King Arthur and his comrades cannot take two steps without someone appearing to block their path. No, no, can't come through here, I'm afraid. I am the Black Knight, you see. No, 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 you can't come through here, I'm afraid. I am a knight with three heads, you see. No, 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 no. Can't come through here, I'm afraid. We are the Knights who say me. We are French soldiers. I am the bridge keeper. I am Tim the Enchanter. I am a bloodthirsty rabbit. No, 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 not today, I'm afraid. If you found the last 15 seconds of this episode to be tedious, imagine sitting through 90 minutes of it. All right, cards on the table. There are two jokes in Holy Grail. Two, I enjoyed during my rewatch, joke number one, the historian's wife running into frame shortly after he is killed. Frank! And joke number two, the repeating chorus of, he's going to tell, he's going to tell. See, I'm not a total Scrooge. Merry Christmas. I also listened to the 2005 original Broadway cast album. This album saw a fair amount of play during my college years, and for the life of me, I have no idea why. I did not love or even really like Spamalot as a student, but I also had no dating life whatsoever, and so I suppose the time had to be filled somehow. The hours, how they pile up, do they not? Here's what I discovered this week. This album goes down smooth, smooth. I still don't love or even really like Spamalot, but the recording is, if anything else, self-assured and fleet-footed. In, out, bada-bing, bada-boom, how's your mother? You working hard in school, Tommy, gotta go, take care of yourself, kiddo, wow, 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 wow. And then finally, I watched the 2005 Tony Awards performance of Find Your Grail. This is totally fine. The actors are hitting their marks. The crowd is acknowledging humor with laughter. Everyone is upholding their ends of the social contract. The performance is no more or less entertaining than, say, the Xanadu presentation, which leaves me at a loss when it comes to explaining how Spamalot won Best Musical. I'll say it again. If you can't secure Best Book or Original Score, a Best Musical victory will read as hollow. That medallion will feel cold when you clutch it to your bosom in the dark of night. But I do enjoy how Tim Hatley's scenic design goes all in when it comes to incorporating Terry Gilliam's art style. All of those white, puffy clouds lending Sarah Ramirez an enormous cartoon fist. Fun! Charming! 
The only Python convention I enjoy without reservation is the stop-motion animation, so I'm happy to see it represented here. It's too bad Terry Gilliam, like the majority of his Python peers, is a miserable human being who deserves to be flatly rejected. Bring out your dead! Here's one. I'm not dead. Here, he says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I feel happy. I feel happy. I am not dead yet. I can dance and I can sing. I am not dead yet. I can do the Highland Fling. I am not dead yet. No need to go to bed. No need to call the doctor, because I'm not yet dead. He is not yet dead. That's what the geezer said. No, he's not yet dead. That man is off his head. He is not yet dead. Put him back in bed. Keep him on the cot because he's not yet dead. When adapting a popular movie into a stage musical, one should resist the urge to base an entire number around one line of dialogue. A famous quote can be incorporated into, into a song that has larger goals, but if the song only exists to pay tribute to that quote, watch out. You'll get a big laugh in the first three seconds and spend the next two minutes of your life in near total silence. We enjoyed the line because it was a line, not a monologue. Let's look at some examples. The producers transformed If You've Got It, Flaunt It into a great character song for Ula. Then you got it, flaunt it. Step right up and strut your stuff. The song works for a couple of reasons. It leans on a line from the original film, but the film isn't nearly as popular as others from the Mel Brooks library. Therefore, audiences would not have been innately familiar with it going into the theater. And if you've got it flaunted, was never much of a laugh line. It's a declaration of philosophy, which is much easier to musicalize and expand upon than a self-contained zinger. Here's another example. Fasten your seatbelts from applause. Fasten your seatbelts, it's gonna be a bumpy night. Eh, 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 eh. Batten the hatches, we're gonna have a funzy flight. Eh, eh, eh. This song manages to take the biggest quote from All About Eve and turn it into a chore by way of sheer repetition. By the time the number is over, you never want to hear that line again, which is not exactly a desirable effect. A song like He Is Not Dead Yet proves this week's subject has a lot more in common with applause than it does with the producers, the success of which Spamalot is desperate to recreate in every way. Here's a suggestion. Instead of stretching out the comedic viability of I'm not dead yet, like it's a hunk of old taffy, why not include the exchange as part of a larger number, one that introduces us to medieval England? Yes, I realize that's sort of what they're doing already, but the pacing is terrible. Write a proper, full-sized Welcome to the World song that makes room for Python's more notable sketch routines. We're singing, we're dancing, and bam, we're in the I'm not dead moment. Ten seconds tops. Back to the singing and dancing, and bam, do a condensed version of Holy Grail's witch routine. I'm pretty sure the witch routine is not in Spamalot. Maybe it's included as part of the book. I could be wrong on that. And here's a crazy idea, subvert the expectations that come with those routines. Change them up instead of recreating them, and for God's sake, get rid of the joke about being shot by Michael Moore. That's so 
fucking bad. Our regional and school productions still including this joke, the idea makes me want to faint. It's easy for me to make suggestions from the balcony. Scrapping the opening sequence and writing a brand new one would hardly be a simple matter, but this is not what we should have landed on. I have a feeling Eric Idle is one of those first idea, best idea kind of people, and it generally does not serve him well in the context of musical theater. There are instances where he gets up off his ass and puts in effort, but for the most part, he is asleep at the wheel. Once in every show There comes a song like this It starts off soft and low And ends up with a kiss Oh, where is the song That goes like this Where is it? Where? Where? A sentimental song That casts a magic spell They all will hum along goes like this is not funny because it has no real reference for what it's trying to parody. It sort of calls to mind A Heart Full of Love from Les Miserables. It sort of calls to mind All I Ask of You from The Phantom of the Opera, but the devil, successful comedy, I mean, is in the details, and the song that goes like this is more than happy to skew broad. Oh, you know those songs that are always in musicals, uh, stupid songs that are you know, mushy and loud, where they change the key or some such thing. Aren't those songs sort of silly? Isn't this sort of amusing? Nope. What gets me is how Eric Idle makes a crack about the song going on too long when we've barely logged two minutes of stage time. You have not earned that joke, Eric. Try writing a five-minute song that is stuffed to the brim with high-quality content, and then we'll talk. Prove you have a working reference for the industry you're apathetically sneering at, and then we'll talk. Are the characters tired of singing, or are you tired of writing? Ladies and gentlemen, the Lady of the Lake. Starts off soft and low and ends up with a kiss. Oh, it's a song that goes like this. Goes like this. A sentimental song that casts a magic spell. They will all hum along and we'll all like hell. Cause this. Oh. 
I'm talking about a proper showstopper we can luxuriate in, one that expands upon rather than regurgitates pre-existing material. With its Knights of the Round Table sequence, Spamalot temporarily finds its footing by blending the frothy joy of musical theater with Python's saltier tendencies. No one is thumbing their nose at Broadway here, no one's trying to act like they're the coolest kid in the class. We are simply having fun. Wild, right? Sarah Ramirez may have a decent Liza impression in her back pocket, but those wild vocal tricks you just heard are what lured me into her pocket. Her warbles, croaks, flips, and scats call to mind Ema Sumac's performance in Flahuli, a show I did not expect to reference this week. That Ramirez is a hootie hoot hoot. I say a hootie hoot hoot.
should be giving John Duprez a lot of credit in this episode because without him and his music, we would be left with the nursery rhyme lyricism of Eric Idle, an idea that scares the shit out of me. Duprez is banging out rock-solid melody lines right and left, while Idle is thumbing through a rhyming dictionary from the late 70s. Soul, goal, fail, grail, drift, lift, fail, grail, sail. He rhymes grail with fail twice. Not exactly Sondheim, is it? In any great adventure, if you don't want to lose, victory depends upon the people that you choose. So listen, Arthur, darling, closely to this news. We won't succeed on Broadway if we don't have any Jews. You may have the finest sets, fill the stage with penthouse pets. You may have the loveliest costumes and best shoes. You may dance and you may sing, but I'm sorry, Arthur King, you'll hear no cheers, just lots and lots of booze. You may have butch men by the score whom the audience adore. You may even have some animals from zoos. Though you've poles and krauts instead, you may have unleavened bread, but I tell you, you are dead if you don't have any Jews. Succeed on Broadway is Spamalot's most transparent attempt at recreating the success of the producers, and it does not work. It's one thing for the producers to invoke the word gay dozens of times, and it's quite another for Spamalot to invoke the word Jew. Mel Brooks had a vested interest in taking Nazis down a peg or two with springtime for Hitler. Mel Brooks is Jewish. Eric Idle is not Jewish. So the question is, what is Idol's aim in writing a song like You Won't Succeed on Broadway? Why is it supposed to be funny? What is the thesis, the comedic thesis? The thesis is literally Jews. Jews, am I right? Bottle dancing, yarmulkes, kosher meals, the Star of David, Jews! This is frightfully stupid. But I'm apparently in the minority because in the clip I watched online, the audience couldn't get enough of this song. David Hyde Pierce says Jews for the first time, and the roof nearly caves in. Oh, Jews! Oh my god, he said it! Okay, 2005. Here are some telling song facts for you. You Won't Succeed on Broadway was known as You Won't Succeed in Showbiz on the West End. And Star Song during the first UK tour. We'll hear a bit of Star Song during our show-related ephemera segment. In countries where theatergoers may not be familiar with Jewish stereotypes, the song is altered even further to praise the high production values and talented performers of those countries. In South Korea, for instance, actors appeared on stage dressed as characters from successful soul productions, Cats, Grease, Chicago, etc. None of these changes sound especially funny, but the song in its original form isn't funny either, so I'm fine with trading anti-Semitism for bland patriotism. Oh, the song isn't anti-Semitic. It's just a laundry list of Jewish stereotypes and a play on the idea that Jews run Broadway. It may be reductive, but it's not anti-Semitic, Jonathan. Right, and that's totally what society needs, a reduction, a flattening out of the Jewish community. We had totally evolved to a point where we can laugh, where we could laugh, can laugh, still laugh, free of guilt. Absolutely, yeah, we've earned it. Uh-huh. What ever happened to my part? It was exciting, 
at the start Now we're halfway through Act Two And I've had nothing yet to do I've been off stage for far too long It's ages since I had a song This is one unhappy diva The producers have deceived her There is nothing I can sing from my heart Whatever happened to my part I am sick of my career Always stuck in second gear Up to here with frustration and with fears I've no Grammy, no rewards I've no Tony Awards I'm constantly observations before we transition into a nice meaty analysis of Diva's Lament, Whatever Happened to My Part. To begin, the Britney Spears joke did not make sense in 2005 and is practically incomprehensible in 2020. What are we saying? That talented Broadway divas are being swapped out for pop stars like Britney Spears? Mm, this is a comment on stunt casting? It's not a very... It's not a very on-the-nose one. Again, we're skewing a little broad. Britney Spears? Okay, is it merely an easy Mad Libs dunk on a woman most audiences would recognize? Uh, maybe. If you can swap out Britney Spears for literally any other celebrity, your joke may be a tad weak, a smidge weak, in the knees is all I'm trying to say. I'm not convinced. Whatever happened to my show? I was a hit, now I don't know. I'm not convinced that is a complete lyrical thought. It is not a closed loop. There is a severe lack of intention backing up the line, and I'm starting to wonder how Eric Idle got through this process. Eric, baby, just because you wrote it down doesn't mean it's set in stone. It doesn't mean you're done. Here's an idea from yours truly for a replacement lyric free of charge. Whatever happened to my show? I fear I've hit a brand new low. It may not be brilliant, but it's a hell of a lot better than what you're offering, Eric. All right, so here's my big take on Diva's Lament. This song says a lot more about Eric Idle and Monty Python's relationship with women than he or his peers would ever care to admit, I'm sure. When you're at a loss as to what to do with your only sizable female character, 
Try taking a seat and working through that. You hired Sarah Ramirez. She's very talented. Amazing voice. Now give her something to do that honors her abilities. Don't write a song about how you have no idea what to do with her. That sucks. And don't frame a woman's grievances as the shrill nattering of a narcissistic diva. That sucks. Shut up. Be better. I'm genuinely glad I watched Monty Python and the Holy Grail this week. The film may be a played-out pile of nonsense, but it demonstrates how little regard these guys had for women from the beginning. Consider how the castle anthrax scene from the film is the only one to prominently feature women. The women are a bunch of horny nuns, but they're self-actualized, goddammit. They're active, they're not reactive, which is a hell of a lot more than you could say for the other women who appear randomly throughout the movie. But instead of allowing the castle anthrax scene to play out, the film mocks its basic existence. Oh, this is far too long, and it's poorly written. Get on with it, get on with it. Oh, remember all of the other scenes? Those were much funnier, and none of them featured women. You don't hear us complaining about those scenes do you? What a wacky coincidence. In any case, I'm afraid we don't have time for you ladies. No, no. Complain all you want, but your scene is bad, and we're here to shut it down. Moving on. That sucks. It sucks. It sucks. It sucks. These idiots didn't know how to write for women in 1975, and they didn't know how to do it 30 years later. be my favorite song from the producers, but I would take it over His Name is Lancelot any day of the week. Both numbers traffic in well-worn signifiers, but here's the thing. I ultimately believe Mel Brooks is on my side when listening to Keep It Gay. I am not convinced Eric Idle is on my side when listening to His Name is Lancelot. With Keep It Gay, Brooks made a statement about uh, the financial viability of fluffy entertainments over tombstone dramas while having a laugh with gay cliches. There's a marginal level of thematic complexity in Keep It Gay. But much like Jews are the joke of You Won't Succeed on Broadway, gay people are the joke of His Name is Lancelot. There's nothing else tucked within this equation. Eric Idle is merely pointing at gay people and shouting, Gay people! Look at them! Look at them! Gay people are inherently funny! 
Perhaps we could write about Lancelot's self-discovery instead of having other people tell him he's gay. That could be funny, too. No, that's not funny. Not funny. Gay people are funny and weird, and they know it. We should be able to talk about it. I should be able to talk about it and get paid at the same time. Sit down, Grandpa. I'm all alone, all by myself There is no one here beside me I'm all alone, quite all alone No one to comfort me or guide me Why is there no one here with me on the long and winding road to lift my heavy load. If there was someone here with me, how happy I would be. I'm All Alone may be yet another example of Spamalot's trying to wring blood out of a stone, but it's also the only instance where characters are allowed an opportunity for simple reflection. Just hearing Tim Curry emote, hearing him glide through each somber note, I needed that. Side note, of the many podcast projects I considered before landing on The Musical Man, one was a career retrospective on Tim Curry. Because I love Tim Curry, think of what you could tackle. The Rocky Horror Picture Show, Annie, Legend, Clue, The Worst Witch, The Hunt for Red October, It, Fern Gully, Home Alone 2, The Three Musketeers, Barbie and the Three Musketeers, The Shadow, Congo, Muppet Treasure Island, Charlie's Angels, The Wild Thornberries. You can't have this podcast idea. It's mine. I will sue you. Spamalot needed a lot more heart if it was ever going to rise above its station as a flashy cash grab. But if I have to subsist on scraps, I will cling to Tim Curry with all of my might. Sing to me, Tim. Serenade me. Inject some humanity into this ineffectual loony tune. You're my only hope. Lady, will you marry me? I thought you'd never ask. It's all a show, happy ending and all, and that just makes me want to sing when you're lost on life's trail and you Just think, Herbert, in a thousand years' time, this will still be controversial. 
let's talk about the following line from Eric Idle's book. Quote, Just think, Herbert, in a thousand years' time, this will still be controversial. Quote, This is a reference to two men getting married. Putting aside the fact that gay marriage wouldn't be legalized until 2015, how was the image of two men getting married actually controversial in 2005? I mean, I'm sure we were in the thick of that debate, but uh, come on, who actually thought it was controversial? Who are you talking about? Homophobic people? And uh, are those people in your audience? I'm trying to work this out here, Eric. Help me. So let's say that they are. Why are you casually referencing their homophobia? What's the point, Eric? You're clearly uninterested in challenging their homophobia. You could have done that simply by showing two men in love and wedded bliss. But you can't just let them exist, can you? They have to be tagged as controversial. Could it be that you're not totally comfortable with the idea of gay marriage or gay people, Eric, maybe? I'll end our deconstruction of the score on a somewhat charitable note. This is a strong finale that synthesizes what works about Spamalot while simultaneously making the case that the show should really only be performed on cruise ships. Cut this down to 90 minutes. I'm sure this has already been done. Forgo the intermission and get us out in time for a late-night trip to the 24-hour buffet. Yum! Deal? We have a deal? Yum, yum? We're permanently relegating Spamalot to cruise ships? Oh, wonderful. Yum, yum. That brings our deconstruction of the Spamalot score to a close, and now it's time to hear a word from our sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678! It's me, Bart Talk the Bat. Oh, hiya, hiya, from the movie Anastasia. Oh, <laughs> it's really nice to be here. Wow, what a wonderful opportunity for me, Bart Talk the Bat. You know, a lot of people say, Bart Talk the Bat, you are a really jittery creature. You have the jitters, sir, is what they say to me. And I say, sir, what am I, my father? Dart Talk the Bat? My father is Dart Talk the Bat. I am Bart Talk the Bat. My mama was named Patty. Okay, so they always say to me, you're so jittery. You should cut coffee from your life. And I say, Jittery, what are you talking about? Don't make me give you a ha-ya and a hoo and a wowie wow woo woo woo. I say to them, look, I tried cutting coffee, but I love it too much. And I've started drinking a brand new brand. It's 5678 coffee. Oh, wee, wow, wow, wow. I love this coffee. It does not give me the jitters and it will not give you the jitters either. Now, let's talk about how, you know, everybody's telling me, Bartok, you have to cut coffee out of your life. Can we talk about how Bartok the Bat was cut out of Anastasia? I thought I was going to be in that musical. And they said, Bartok, you're not going to be in the musical. And I said, hiya, ho, ho, ya That's what I said to them. And I gave them a geek, is what I did. I gave them a geek. And then after I was done yelling, they said, Bartok, calm down. Do you want a cup of five, six, seven, eight coffee? And I said, of course I do. Okay. And then I drank the coffee. <laughs> and I am now going to fly away because I have a date with a little pink bat who has a bow in her hair and she has eyelashes. And she gives me a kiss with her little pink snout. She's got a little bat. She's got a bat nose, but it looks like a pink snout. Now come to think of it, I also have a little pig snout. And we're going to kiss each other. We're going to kiss each other, okay? Is that okay with you? And then we're going to have a cup of coffee. So, five, six, seven, eight, you can count on it to not give you the jitters. It will give you pep in your step, but you will not have the jitters, sir. Okay? And you can count on me to fly away right now, because I gotta get the kisses. Okay, bye! Hiya! Out of my way! Hoo-ha-ha!
Final thoughts regarding Monty Python's Spamalot. I do not plan on revisiting Spamalot ever again. The show almost never reaches beyond its apathetic Python roots, and I simply have no room for it in my life. Tim Curry, Sarah Ramirez, David Hyde Pierce, and the rest of this talented cast deserved better. TLDR, Monty Python is for straight people, and they can have it. Now, as a reminder, in 2005, Monty Python's Spamalot was the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical, and the other nominees from that season were The Lights in the Piazza, which we have discussed here on the podcast in the past, and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. Should Spamalot have won the Tony Award for Best Musical? No, we've addressed this, okay? We addressed this in our episode about The Lights in the Piazza. The Lights in the Piazza should have won the Tony Award for Best Musical. Second place, the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. Third place, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Maybe. I haven't listened to that in a long time, but of course we will talk about it in the future. Last place, in terms of overall quality, probably Monty Python's Spamalot. I don't know, maybe I'll change that ranking once I tackle Dirty Run's Scoundrels. But for now, let's rank Spamalot against all of the shows we have talked about here on the podcast, okay? I'm going to rank Spamalot at number 51, between Xanadu at 50, and number 52, Big River, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. That is a new position for Big River, actually. Big River, over time, really has raised on up. It's still in the lower tier of the shows that we've talked about, but overall, I I look back on that very kindly compared to a lot of the other shows we've talked about. So Xanadu, Spamalot, Big River, your neighbors right now, deal with it. I don't know if that's going to change. You might have to pack up your bags and move to a new spot later. And of course, if you want to take a look at this huge ranking of ours, this full list, you'll want to go to Twitter, at MusicalManPod, go to our likes. The top tweet is a Google Sheet. The second tab of that sheet is that ranking. You will find all of that information there. Let's talk about some show-related ephemera. Okay, the first bit of ephemera we're going to tackle is Star Song from the 2010 Live UK Tour cast album of Spamalot. That is a fucking mouthful. Now, if you'll recall, Star Song is the revised version of You Won't Succeed on Broadway, okay? So let's hear a bit of that now. You must put on a musical! Oh, yes! And you must take this musical all the way to Bromley. Have you heard of this Bromley? Oh, yes, sire. And I'm afraid we haven't got a chance. Why not? Because Bromley is a very special place (laughs) filled with very special people. People who need people and who in many ways are the luckiest people in the world. People who won't just watch any old show. I'm sorry, Arthur, but we don't stand a chance. But why not? Well, let me put it like this. In any showbiz venture, from Shakespeare down to Keats, if you want to be successful, you must put bums on seats. So listen, Arthur, darling, or you won't get very far. You won't succeed in Bromley if you haven't got a star. You may have the finest sets. Fill the stage with penthouse pets. Your boys may make a noise with loud guitars. You may fill your place with strife, but have Ozzy Osbourne's wife, and the audience won't head off to the bars. You may troll the loony bins for handsome singing twins who sing off-key with dodgy la-la-la. La-la-la! Don't get Jedward, they're not Deadwood. Or maybe just instead, could you even get Prince Edward? At least you'd have a star. Hello, how do you do? Have you come 
Question, why did we make all of these changes? I don't buy the idea that jokes about Broadway would have been incomprehensible to international audiences. That's ridiculous. You don't see anyone really altering West End shows like this when they come over to America. No one's swapping out nods to London Bridge for the Golden Gate or whatever the hell. I believe someone finally realized that asking audiences to sign off on light anti-Semitism was fucked up, and they dashed off Star Song as a way of covering their tracks. We wrote an immature number that will not age well and could prevent Eric from making more money in the future, so despite our rebel comedy status, we've made a concession. Our apologies, John Gleese. We know how much you loathe PC culture. That said, You Won't Succeed on Broadway only works as much as it does because it has the courage of its childish convictions. The song believes it's getting away with something and has this cheeky, did I do that, everyone's a little bit racist bite that obviously appeals to audiences. Star Song is slightly more toothless than a Bill and Ted's excellent Halloween adventure performance. What's that? Oh, let's not worry about it. Let's hear instead. Let's hear some audio from NBC's The More You Know. This is an ad from The More You Know campaign, and it features David Hyde Pierce. Let's hear that now. I've discovered a cure for about 90% of all family problems. You ready? Ta-da! What'd you think I was going to say? Watch less television? No, this is great. Take an ordinary kitchen table and get your family around it at least once a week for a meal. I know you're busy. I know your kids are busy. Maybe it's time you found out what they're so busy doing. We want better kids. We gotta be better parents. And sometimes that starts with something as simple as dinner. I watched a few of these, a number of them star David Hyde Pierce, and they are all pretty condescending, but I like the sound of David Hyde Pierce's voice, so what can you do? Isn't it surprising how he never did a commercial campaign, like a proper, full-on campaign? David Hyde Pierce for string cheese, something along those lines? I want this man to make even more money. Let's give him a huge commercial campaign, huh? And then finally, we are going to hear a 1993 Guinness ad featuring Tim Curry and Gina Bellman of the BBC series Coupling. I would like to provide a description of what is happening in this ad before we hear the audio from this ad, okay? So, here we go. Curry moans incomprehensibly. That's what you'll hear right at the top of this audio. Curry moans incomprehensibly while resting on a bed of nails, his paw wrapped around a sweaty pint of Guinness. He's wearing a white bathrobe, khaki shorts, and golden curly-toed genie loafers. Bellman, for her part, lounges on a vaguely clitoral love seat while sipping furtively from her own Guinness. She's sporting a bubblegum pink snakeskin cocktail dress. Curry and Bellman are located in what could best be described as an art gallery from the sort of mid-90s VR game that would be featured in an episode of Murder, She Wrote. Now that we have the proper context, let's hear that audio. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Tell me, my dear. Oh. Could it taste like <laughs> prickly bubbles rising in a dark chamber? Mm. Um. Guinness Original. Original taste. Ah. 
In another entry from this campaign, Curry uses a chainsaw to slice a grand piano in half while wearing aviator goggles from the 1940s. Bellman brings the ad to a close with her famous catchphrase, with which we are all now all too familiar, Mmm. Um. Wonderful. <laughs> to determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, Puppet Salad. Everyone ready? Then away we go! Okay, so we're going to be discussing a show that actually came up during our breakdown of the cast, okay? Christian Borle was in this show. It is from the 2003 season. It was a nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical, and it only ran for 17 performances. That show is Amour. Amour is going to be our next subject. It's true. It's true. Okay. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. By the time this episode comes out, we will have already made our first donation to the Black Lives Matter organization. As a reminder, 100 percent of every single monthly payout from here on in is going to be directly donated to the Black Lives Matter organization. So if you become a patron, not only will you be supporting this amazing organization, you will be getting a ton of incentives and bonus material. That's right. Now you can donate one, three, five, or ten dollars a month. If you donate one dollar a month, you get Monday early access to main feed episodes. You get verbal shout outs every single week. Let's do that now. Thank you so much for donating. Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Matt, Jonathan, Mark S, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brat, Matt, Brat? Brad! Oh no, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. I combined Brad and Matt. That's what I did. Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. Thank you so much. You also get bonus episodes covering the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, a review of Cats, a review of the stage musical Emma. You also get a review of Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, and Hamilton via Disney+. Plus. You also get season one, 12 episodes of Radio Boy, Radio Boy, okay, yeah, and you also get access to monthly episodes of M3, The Movie Musical Man, for which I discuss trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. And the theme for August, this uh, this next episode is going to be dropping August 26th. The name of the episode will be the Shiver Me Timbers trilogy, and that's because we're talking about pirate movie musicals. We're talking about the Gene Kelly, Judy Garland film, The Pirate. We're talking about the pirate movie from 1982, I want to say. And we're also talking about Muppet Treasure Island. That's true. Now, if you donate $3 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus a musical shout out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing, plus season one, ten episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast. If you donate $5 a month, you get everything above, everything above, baby. <laughs> everything I've described. Plus, the the ability, you get the ability to stop the musical carousel one time and determine what show I discuss here on the podcast. I believe Dave, yes, Dave, our most recent patron, wanted us to talk about Spamalot, and that's why we talked about it this week. You also get season one, 12 episodes of All I Ask of You, the advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera, season two, coming October of this year. You also get access to our review series of Broadway and Chicago productions, and Shout About It, volume one, a collection of five 
five, six, seven, eight coffee ads and musical shoutouts from the first 25 episodes of the podcast. If you donate $10 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus the Snub Club Season 1, 12 episodes. It's all about Broadway musicals that were never nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. They were snubbed. And then starting, I know this is a little bit of ways away, uh, but in April 2021, you're going to get a brand new series, $10 a month patrons. Uh, we've talked about this before, but I want to remind you, it's going to be called Turn It Off. It's going to be a weekly series about off-Broadway musicals. Now, if you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to write a five-star review. I really love reading those. They bring me joy. I love seeing them. Ah, ah. If you are listening to the show, you might be doing that through Spotify. You might be doing it through Stitcher or Podbean. That's musicalmanpod.podbean.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at musicalmanpod, and email me. Why not? Send me an email, musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Have you seen Spamalon? What do you think about Monty Python? Am I a genius? Am I a buffoon? Thanks, as always, to Patty and Benny. You help me so much each and every week. Thank you so much, Patty and Benny. Alex Green for our beautiful logo, and Zach Little for our fabulous music. Oh, well... You know what that sound means? Yes, just when the fun is starting, comes the time for parting. Oh, well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen, and good night. Stay away, could you? Not when I knew what you and your men were up to. Actually, your persistence is quite useful. When you couldn't finish off the Prince of the Ball, you came up here and had one final battle. Unfortunately, I was too late to help the Prince. And when you lunged for me, I had no other choice than to send you off the roof to your tragic demise. <gasps> Lady Barbecue, catch! <laughs> <laughs>